Warning, the Federal Communications Commission requires that we inform you that this episode of the Derek Duvall Show may contain content inappropriate for children. Listener discretion is advised. The FCC also requires us to inform you that this episode may contain the words f***, s***, asshole, mother boy, dumpster, galloping quit, but in like a British way, and also, strangely, cul-de-sac. Once again, this show may contain content not suitable for anyone but the coolest children. Listener discretion is advised. Powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to Friends, Foes, and Neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, as what you are about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show. Prepare yourself for insightful interviews with incredible people. Join us now as we delve ever deeper into the human condition. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Production Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Hello, Duvall Nation. Hello. Hi, everybody. Hello, hello. Everyone, please sit. Thank you so much. Hello, Duvall Nation, and welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. (laughs) Happy New Year, and welcome to 2023. We are back with another fantastic journey into the lives of extraordinary people. Before I want to jump into the episode, you probably noticed in the first minute that we are starting the show with a brand new intro theme, and I want to thank my great friend and MC of the show, Jeff Brown for laying down those tracks with me at quarter to one in the morning. So this will be the new theme song for the Derek Duvall Show going forward. Love it? Despise it? Do you fear change? Let me know in the comments section on Twitter following the conclusion of this episode. As you know, we ended 22 on a down note, which if you were paying attention to 2022, kind of kept with the theme. But I do want to say thank you to everyone for reaching out and letting me know how much you loved the interview we recorded with Judy Tenuta before she died in October. It turned out fantastic, and I want to thank everyone for making it one of the highest downloaded episodes of 2022. All right, welcome to episode 114. We're going to kickstart 2023 with an incredible guest straight out of the gate. We have on the show actress, host, and writer Allison Hayslip. She's been one of my most favorite interviews, and we had a blast talking about how she got started in the business, her amazing story of how she landed a role on G4's Attack of the Show, Plus, we hear a fantastic story of how she won The Price is Right, and so much more. Honestly, I can't wait for you to hear this one. Let's get Allison out here. Duval Nation, please rise to your feet and welcome all the way from Los Angeles, California, Miss Allison Hayslip. Good evening, Allison. Welcome to the Derek Duval Show. How is the weather out by you today? Oh, I live in Los Angeles, so it's perfect every day. <laughs> I lived in California for a little while. I understand completely. So, yeah. Yeah. Once once you live in Southern California, you're like, oh, I get it. I get mm-hmm. it. You mean I yeah. never have to put up with snow or slush or pouring, pouring rain for days on end ever again? Yep. Sold. Totally understand. So I start my interviews off with the same question, and that is, how has it been for you to navigate the COVID-19 pandemic? I mean, I'm sure it's been a doozy for everyone. You know, it was interesting, right at the 
getting, you know, we were only supposed to be in, in lockdown for two weeks. I was like, mm-hmm. all right, it's like I'm I'm homesick from school for a bit. What would I do now that I finally have the time to do something? So I was like, I'm finally going to watch The West Wing. I've never <laughs> seen The West Wing. And then I watched all, I think it's 174 episodes of The West Wing in 28 days. <laughs> and I was like, oh, we're still here and we're still doing this. Now is when I have to figure out a way to also be productive you know because it was like my mm-hmm. entire industry shut down you, you, right. no one was doing anything and it, it you, you know I, f- I feel like in the industry I, I work in everyone always got a little bit of FOMO like what are they not what what project are they are they not working on that they should be what what, what aren't they in the know of but when everything was shut down it was it was a weird relief because you never had that anymore but then when we all realized it was going to be continuing much longer than we thought that's when it got tough that's when it was like all right i thankfully like live on my own i only had to worry about me myself and i my family was all very safe but then that's when like the mental the mental health realization kicks in that's like if i don't figure out something to do with myself i will end up talking to my house plants (laughs) <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm a creative artistic person. So it wasn't just like I could find any old thing. I had to find artistic outlets. And so, you know, I, I, I've played piano since I was eight, but I never play as much anymore. So it was like, okay, you know what, now's the time to get back into that. Now's the time to focus on the writing. Like what are the things you can do on your own? And there were clearly some really hard days when you're just, you know, you feel like you're in Groundhog's Day. But overall, you know, now now that it feels like we're somewhat out of those really, really dire moments, there there are some silver linings to be pulled mm-hmm. out of everything. And and I think learning how to be proactive about feeling productive is is something that happened for me. You know, it's amazing. The people who I've had on my show for the last, I've been doing this now for three years. Yeah. Um, I've had actors, actresses, musicians, you know, writers, great thinkers, and all of them went through a sort of self renaissance period during this lockdown. Some wrote books, some picked up an instrument, like, you know, you said. Yeah. Um, you know, it's been an incredible. That question I ask, I ask at every interview, the answers have been so diverse. It's almost like, like I said, a rebirth of humanity in that lockdown period. Right. I, I mean, I, I hope we all went through a moment of just realizing what our priorities should be and what is important mm-hmm. in life. And I do think like like I was saying, I do think that that is like a silver lining that has come from it is that, you know, people understand what they should be enjoying in life and not what they feel like they have to be. Absolutely. Yeah. So every journey has a beginning and your starts in Tewksbury Township, New Jersey. <laughs> do you do you identify as a Jersey girl? And um, what was it like to grow up there? Oh, yes. I'm like full blood Jersey. My parents were both born and raised in New Jersey. You know, you get a couple drinks in me. I start sounding like I'm from New Jersey. <laughs> but, you know, where I grew up, like I, I can't believe you even said it right. It's Tewksbury, Tewksbury Township. Like I was we weren't even a town. We like where I grew up was so tiny. We didn't have a post office. My mailing mm. address was the town next door. Wow. We didn't even have a a traffic light until I was 16 years old or something. So I, I mean, I grew up in the middle of nowhere, but I was also less than 60 minutes from New York city. So while I grew up quite literally down the street from a horse farm, I also grew up 
going to see Broadway shows and and getting a lot of, you know, city urban culture as well. So I, I sort of feel like I had the best of both worlds where I was. At what age did you decide that you wanted to do your chosen profession you're doing now? Well, decided was probably when I was making my decision on where, on where to go to college. I, I got the acting bug when I was in eighth grade, my middle school ended with eighth grade and the eighth grade class always did a big musical at the end of the year. It was like the big eighth grade project. And my class did Fiddler on the Roof. And I was always a, a singer, both my parents, while they're not musicians by profession, they were musicians by like passion. And so I grew up in a house that was always filled with music and, you know, someone's always playing music, someone's always singing, all that kind of stuff. So I was in all the choirs and things like that. And because of that, uh, I was cast as the lead in Fiddler. I was, I was Golda. My, (laughs) you know, I was 14 years old and cast as the Jewish mother of six, but I realized like doing Fiddler, so that was that was my first step into acting as well. And it was the first thing that I did that challenged me, but that I kept wanting to keep doing. Cause I was a I was a very good student. I'm I'm sort of on this, I'm like a natural student, like school came easy to me. So the moment something didn't come easy to me, I didn't want to do it because it felt like, well, no, everything else came easy to me. I I don't want to, I don't want to try. And acting was the first thing that I was like, oh, this isn't easy, but I want to try. And so then I continued through high school. I did all the high school shows where I'm from in Jersey has this amazing community theater program for kids called Skit, uh, Mm -hmm. Show Kids Invitational Theater. I was, I was a part of that. So I was doing I don't know, four or five shows every school year or something like that. And then when it came time to decide where I wanted to go to school, you know, you're supposed to sort of pick a major. You you decide where you want to go based on what you want to study. And I was, I kept splitting between going to do something in the sciences because I really love sciences and chemistry specifically, or going to do something in the arts, like theater, acting or anything like that. It was oddly my, uh, He was my AP physics teacher, Mr. Burrow. I I was taking that junior year, which is when you're, you know, looking at schools. And he was like, so Allison, where are you deciding to go to school? What do you think? And I was like, I don't know. I'm kind of like debating on what, if my major is going to be something like this, I'd go here if it's going to be that. And he's like, Allison, listen, he's like, you're one of my best students. He's like, but you love acting. You love performing. You have to go do that. And I was like, well, okay. If my science teacher who's who I get straight A's with is telling me that I should go pursue what I'm passionate about. I'm going to listen to that. So that's, that's when I made the decision. This is what I'm going to do and I'm going to commit to it. You know, tell us, uh, you have any favorite memories from going to Boston college? Oh, goodness gracious. Favorite (laughs) memories. Do I remember much of Boston? (laughs) (laughs) No, I clearly had a great time at, at BC and I was in their theater department and, um, you know, their theater department isn't huge, which is what's so wonderful. We were a really tight knit family. So I feel like I had a, a more unique experience of BC than most people who go to BC do because B, not that BC is a huge school, but I was in very small classes. A lot of people at BC, you know, didn't know all the people in their in their individual classes and things like that. It's funny. I actually just went back to BC in September, this past September to visit and I got to go in the theater and see a few of my old theater professors. And I was walking around and, and the theater's called the Rob Sham Theater. And I was like, man, Rob Sham smells exactly the same. And my <laughs> professor's like, 
that's what everyone says. Like everyone who spent their four years in this theater, it doesn't matter how long they've left, whenever they come back, it's like the theater has this smell. And it's not like it's an unpleasant smell. It just is so unique and specific to the theater at Boston College, which is, you know, just so great. I mean, gosh, I that's where I got to do Hamlet. I, I had always wanted to play Ophelia and I got to be Ophelia my junior year at BC, which was incredible. And, you know, clearly made some of the closest friends I've ever had. I had this amazing professor, Dr. Houchin, who um, I remember him telling us that if you can see yourself doing anything else with your life besides acting, go do that. Because the only way you're going to be successful as an actor, if it's literally the only thing you can do. And I was like, well, yeah, I'm not going to be happy doing anything else. So here we go. How hard was it? to get established in the business after you moved to LA? Oh, it's, I mean, it's impossibly hard. Like, even though I've been out here for almost 20 years, I still don't feel like I'm established. It doesn't matter like how much I work or what I do. You know, I was on, I was on a show for four years, a daily live show for four years. And I still am like, am I ever going to work again? You know, it's just (laughs) the nature of this business. But I feel like you set certain goals for yourself. And when I first came out here, I was like, you know what, all I want to do, not all I want to do, but I was like, as long as I book a Verizon commercial and become SAG within my first year to year and a half of being out here, that's a good start. And like, I I got to LA and I got signed with a manager within a few weeks of being out here. So I already was like, all right, well, that's a good sign. And lo and behold, within a year or so of being out here, it wasn't Verizon, but it was McDonald's. And I feel like, you know, that's, that's the same brand comparison. (laughs) Um, And, and I, you know, I joined the union and I was like, all right, things are going. And, you know, I always worked, I always worked enough to know that I was doing the right thing with my life. And then I was out here, what, about four years when as I say, tripped into my job on Attack of the Show at G4, which I was there for four years, basically, which that that sort of solidified like, all right, here I'm I'm here and I'm here to stay. For the other actors and actresses I've had on the show, I always ask the same question and I hope it's hard yeah. to ask you. Yeah. Do you remember your very first paid acting role in a, in a film or a television or anything? Oh, yeah. It was a music video. <laughs> and it was actually right before I moved to L.A., Um, so when I was in Boston, my senior year, uh, I, I didn't have to take a full course load my senior year, uh, cause I had, I had had enough credits. So I was only a part-time student. And so I signed up at, there's like a handful of local casting agencies in Boston. And I signed up at those and like went on, you know, these small little auditions here and there. And then I graduated, went back to Jersey, wasn't moving to LA until like three or four weeks later and was just hanging around my parents' house in Jersey doing nothing, bored out of my mind. And I get a call from one of these casting agencies in Boston saying, we have this audition for this music video for you. And I was like, oh, I'm not actually in Boston at the moment. They're like, well, okay, let us, it's tomorrow. Let us know if you can make it. And I was like, all right. And I called up a buddy of mine my friend Jason, who also happens to be a musician. And I was like, I got this audition. I was like, it's for this band called Brand New. I don't know. And Jason's like, I mean, I've kind of heard of them. I think they're like 
up and coming in the indie world. And he's like, and what else are you doing? You are, you're complaining about how bored you are. Drive up to Boston, see your friends, go on the audition. And I was like, all right, fine. So I drove up the next day. I think I drove straight to the audition audition. The, you know, the audition's like three minutes leave, go to a friend's place in Boston, probably cracked open a beer. And then like by the end of the day, got the call that I had been cast and I had to go to New Hampshire the next morning for three days to shoot this music video with the band. And I was like, Oh, I mean, I hadn't even packed enough. Oh, I was just like, uh, okay, guess I'm going to New Hampshire tomorrow. It's awesome. (laughs) And, uh, and it was for this band called brand new. And there, it was like the lead single off their new album that had released the next week. And this, this album and this song just, just blew up and the the video won a like you know some sort of MTV audience choice award I forget what exactly it was called but it was like a big deal so like when I came to LA I actually had you know this was old school I I had a a DVD copy of my music video to like Mm -hmm. pass around to casting agencies and managers and stuff and be like here I am and that's that was my first paid gig I think I made I think I made $300. $300. I think I made a hundred dollars a day or something like that. on it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny you say that about the highlight reel. I had Tim Russ on the show a couple months ago and he was telling me that he has to constantly keep a highlight reel updated with his current work. Cause as he's getting older, you know, he has to, you know, make it look like, Hey, I can't play roles that I was 30 years ago. So I have to keep right. looking relevant. I didn't realize that was a thing. And that was very interesting. Yeah. I mean, thankfully, now that everything's done online, it used to be that you edited a reel together and like you had, you know, like quick cuts and like you cut back and forth between scenes and you made it look really cool. But then anytime you got new footage, it was like you had to redo the whole thing. Right Now, the way casting sites are set up, like there's this thing called active pitch where I can just upload all of my individual clips Mm -hmm. and then my reps can pick and choose which clips to send to pitch me for a project. So it's not like someone has to sit through my entire six and a half minute long reel these days right. just to see the, oh, these are comedy clips. Oh, okay. You know, it, oh, that's, it's that's gotten handy. a lot easier. Yeah, that's a lot handy. <laughs> yeah. So for my listeners who do not know, you okay. spent a considerable amount of time at G4. I did. Uh, tell us about the feed and how you came to be on Attack at the Show. Well, I have one of those stories that you're like, this isn't supposed to actually happen in real life. You know, like I said, I was I, w- I was out here maybe about four years and I was doing all the things you do when you're trying to be an actor. You're you're working at you're you're working at restaurants, you're working at bars. And at this time I was I was bartending at this um this really great beer and wine bar that I still go to all the time too, called the third stop. Uh, the, the, the full story is that one of my regulars there, the, this guy, Kenny Goodman, he, at the time he was an agent at William Morris and he knew that I was an actor. And so he would kind of like, if something was appropriate for me, he would, he would pass in my, it's a thing called hip pocketing. Like he would just kind of like keep me in his pocket. And if something was right, he'd be, take me out and be like, okay, we'll get you an appointment for this. You know, he was great. So supportive. I mean, st- still a good friend. And one night he came in with a buddy of his and they both sat at my bar and, you know, I'm serving them beers and he goes, oh, Chris, you should really know Allison. She's a huge geek. And it turns out that this guy, Chris, worked in development at G4. So then for these two hours that they're sitting there, I'm chatting with Chris and, you know, I'm like, I, I happen to be wearing a Nintendo remote control charm necklace. <laughs> and he asked me about it. And I was like, yeah, I've played video games since I was like five. You know, I, I, I my parents had an Atari in our basement when I was born. So. And he was like, but you're a girl. And I'm like, 
yeah, yep, that's true. And then, you know, I was telling him about like, I went to space camp for four years and at Boston College, I studied philosophy of Tolkien. And by the end of this conversation, he's like, all right, you you really need to come in and meet with our our head of talent. So I don't know, a week or so later, I went in and met with the head of talent at G4. And then they brought me in uh, to do like a screen test with me, in which I love telling this story because I had literally never seen a teleprompter before in my life. And so I walked into this room and looked at it at the teleprompter and I went, oh, so that's how it works. Like out loud in front of everyone, like (laughs) had no cool, had no chill. There was no like faking like I knew what I was doing. I, I announced to everyone that I had no idea what I was doing. And for some reason, they still hired me. Like I truly to this day, I'm like, I'm just the luckiest person on the planet because they they played my audition tape on the thousandth episode of Attack of the Show. And I had never seen it before. And they play it like live on TV and I'm watching it and and it ended. And I was like, I was terrible. Why did you hire me? But I truly believe it's because I actually knew what I was talking about. I didn't know how to be a host. I didn't know how to read teleprompter, but I was passionate and I cared about the topics the network was covering and they saw that in me and they were willing to put the the time and energy into crafting me into a good host for the show. That's awesome. So how hard is it to do attack of a show? Cause from the outside looking in is a lot of parts of a very big machine. It looks like. Oh yeah. In some ways it's the hardest thing I've ever done in this industry. And in other ways it was such a blast that you didn't mind you didn't even think about the work. And really the work all comes from doing live TV. Live TV is the hardest thing you can do, but it's also the most fun because once you, and this took me a while, but once you let go of the fear of screwing up, you realize that the stuff that isn't impromptu, the stuff that isn't planned, the stuff that isn't rehearsed is like the best stuff you will do. Just thinking on your feet, you know, it's it's like when you're watching the best improv actors, just in awe of like how they can be that quick. That's live TV feels like that, that you just are, you have to be so on the ball and so aware of everything that's happening around you. And, you know, you're on camera. I mean, when I did the feed, I was basically there by myself, but when I hosted, there was always, you know, Kevin or Chris or someone next to me. Um, But then there's, you know, the 30 to 40 people behind the camera all doing their jobs too. And everyone's doing it in real time. If it's all right to ask, what led you to leave G4? You know, this (laughs) it's funny because some people look at it and think that I just had the foresight to know that the network was going to end soon because my timing was sort of impeccable (laughs) when I left, but it wasn't that at all. It was purely chance during my last contract year of G4 was when I'm going to get a little in the weeds here, but it'll make sense. It's when the NBC universal Comcast merger happened and I had then been kind of plucked from G4 to do The Voice, the first season of The Voice as their social media correspondent. Because literally the guy who ran, Paul Telegdi, who ran um, Unscripted at NBC, came to Neil Tiles, the then president of G4, and said, you're the tech network. We need a quote-unquote social media correspondent. We don't even know what that is. Who do you have? And and Neil was like, take Allison. So I went to The Voice for three months. And also since NBC was clearly the bigger network, NBC got first dibs on me. So right when I was wrapping up on The Voice was when my contract at G4 was coming up. 
And G4 was like, we love you. We want to keep you around. But now that NBC gets first dibs on you, we're not going to be able to use you the way we normally are. So we're not going to contract you, but we'll use you in a freelance capacity, which is what I did at the beginning of my time at G4. And I was like, that's a bummer, but I totally get it. Then almost in the simultaneously is when NBC went, never mind, we don't want Allison for the voice anymore. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was like, the timing, I was like, oh, this is, I, I went from having two amazing jobs to, to no jobs, like overnight. And that was devastating. Like I, I yeah. truly thought, I, I, I couldn't imagine how it could have gotten worse. And then within a week or two, I got a theatrical audition for this show called Battleground, which was Hulu's first scripted show. And I auditioned for that and I was cast and I was like, oh, and I got my first proper series regular job and had to go to Madison, Wisconsin for three months to go shoot that, which was amazing. And quite frankly, is my favorite thing that I have ever worked on. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it was like just a perfect storm of wonderful people, wonderful content and a wonderful experience doing that. Anyway, by the time I came back from shooting Battleground was when the NBC Universal people kind of like revamped G4 and none of the people, none of the execs who I had worked with were there anymore by the time I came back. So this whole like premise of me coming to do freelance work for them still went off the table because none of these people knew me. Right. And then G4 ended just a few months after that. So, <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's what I mean. It was, you know, as long as I've been in this industry, you weirdly always have to trust the timing because when something seems like it's awful and it's going to break you, there's always a reason it happens. There's always something else that comes along and you just have to trust, you know, had, had, had G4 given me another contract, I wouldn't have been able to do battleground. And then I still would have been on the network when it ended and I would have been in the same place, you know? So yeah. it weirdly, I just, you, you got to always trust the reasons, you know? I think Conan O'Brien says something about that very similar when he left uh, NBC. So I totally understand completely hundred percent. Yeah. So. Okay. Devon nation. We're going to go ahead and take a small break right here, but we'll be right back with the conclusion of this absolutely fun interview with Allison Hayslip. May I suggest you take this time to refresh that drink and take some super long, deep breaths in through the mouth, out through the nose. While you do that, give a couple of friends of the show your attention, and we will be right back. Welcome to Wine Chats with Bildo and Lindalyn. My name is Billy Milovanovic, a.k.a. Bildo. My name is Lindsay Kirkwood, also known as Lindalyn. And this is our offensively funny podcast about drinking wine and chatting life. Some of our previous topics include conspiracy theories. I know somebody that thinks the world's flat. What? Like a real person? Yes. Body ailments. I'm going to go from toes up because I have a lot. <laughs> no, seriously, you laugh, but I have so many this body ailments. what happens with age, guys. And I know. And orgasms. I'm a little bit frustrated and it just hasn't been happening. I, I'm trying. Henry's trying. We're all trying. But when orgasming is good, it's good. Basically, we talk about all the things that you would generally talk about over wine with your girlfriends. New episodes out each Monday. Chat, Chat soon. <laughs> This is Patrick Baker, and you are listening to The Derek Duvall Show. Check out my new single, Sorrow, available on all major streaming platforms. And you can check my site out at patrickbakermusic.com. Don't leave my heart, but heart alone. 
Duval Nation, Derek and Mindy Duval here to talk about Jerky Pro, the standard in premium beef jerky products. The Derek Duval Show and Derek and Mindy's Fun with Movies is proud to be sponsored by the team at Jerky Pro. As a veteran, I am always the first to support veteran-owned businesses. Setting up shop in 1987 and founded by military and paramilitary veterans, they have set the bar for how beef jerky is processed, flavored, packaged, and sold. With strict quality control standards, Jerky Pro offers many flavors that are sure to please any beef jerky connoisseur. From the standard original flavor to honey glazed, peppered, teriyaki, sweet barbecue, or if you're brave enough, the fierce red hot, there are many flavors guaranteed to entice your palate. Offered in various sized packaging, use promo code DUBALL37, all in capital letters, at checkout to receive a 5% discount. Remember, folks, if your beef jerky is not making your mouth water, then it's not Jerky Pro Beef Jerky. Jerky Pro, the standard in premium beef jerky products. Hi, it's Michelle Fabre, and you can hear my new single, Last Chance for Love, on Spotify, Apple Music, and all other streaming platforms. Last chance for love, last chance for love. Can we make it? Just tell me. Teachers, do you ever have these feelings or have been told these things? Do you want Kleenex for your classroom? Maybe you should think about buying your own with your own money. You get the summer off, you can have a second job. Do you really need a pay raise? Oh, do you need to use the restroom? Maybe you can do that in the three minutes while students are changing classes. Boy, sure hope your room doesn't descend into Lord of the Flies in that time. Oh, things are going pretty good for one. Surprise! Budget cuts! Well, you're in luck because we've got a book just for you. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Kinder, educator, speaker, and author of Untold Teaching Truths. I invite you to purchase my book and join this journey as we talk about the wild world of public education. Part memoir, part strategy. It is available on BookBaby, Amazon, or wherever books are sold. Teach on Warriors. We've got this. Hey, do you have a podcast or maybe you're just thinking about starting a podcast? Well, I am Chris from Podcastic Audio, and here I show you tips and tricks on how to make your audio sound the best it possibly can with the gear you already have. With two years of experience on the Chris and Christine show creating the finest audio I possibly can make, I will show you the tips and tricks I have used on that show to make the audio sound fantastic. So if you have any podcast-related questions to your audio, you always can email me at podcasticaudio at gmail.com like this guy here did. His name is Joe. Joe writes in from the cast. Hey, Chris, when we all sit down together to record our episode, our audio is too low and it has a lot of echo in the recording. How do we make our show sound better? Well, Joe, is the microphone you're using rhyme with the name Betty? And is that microphone in the same room with you? I'd start with that stuff first. And for more podtastic audio information, you can go to anchor.fm slash audio, and you keep on making your amazing podcast.
Janae Sergio, arriving. Hello, everyone. This is Janae Sergio, life coach, combat veteran, and best-selling author. I invite you to purchase my new book, Perfectly Flawed, A Veteran's Journey from Homeless to Hero. In these pages, you will learn about the lowest struggles of my life to the absolute triumphs that have made me the strong woman I am today. Follow along as I talk about homelessness, my naval role in Operation Enduring Freedom, navigating insurmountable odds, and how I dealt with and overcame them. You can find Perfectly Flawed on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Welcome back to episode 114 of the Derek Duvall Show. Let's get right back to it with the conclusion of our interview with actress, host, and writer, Miss Allison Hayslip. So we had Alex Weber on the show a few months ago, and he was telling about his time on American Ninja Warrior. What was it like to co-host that show? Oh, my gosh. That was so awesome. I mean, I hosted the very first season of American Ninja Warriors, me and Blair Herter, and we were in a parking lot of a Costco in Burbank, and it was 103 degrees out one day. I am not exaggerating. I mean, we they built this like rinky-dink little course that you were like, is this thing even going to stay together? I think we only had 10 competitors. You know what I mean? It was so tiny. And so to see what this show has gone on to become is insane. I enjoyed it so much because I was always doing the competitor interviews And these people that come on that show, 99.9% of the people who come on that show are so serious about it and have so much passion and love for this show. And they do all this incredible training and they're just so excited to be there and so happy to be there. And I just had such a great time with them. And then I went to Japan four times to shoot this show and you go over with the competitors and you just, you know, it's almost like you have a, a summer camp trip to a to a completely different continent and you shoot an amazing show i mean when you shoot on that on on the actual course in in japan you know they don't they don't have union rules out there like we do so they just shoot until they get the entire show done which it was like not an exaggeration to say you were going to have a 20 to 22 hour shoot day which is insane and you're in a field in the middle of nowhere it's not like it's not like there's any amenities nearby. Like we, we, there's one IHOP. I think it was an IHOP that was within a 30 minute drive, which is where all your food came from. But it was not, it was not American IHOP, you know, it was, it's yeah. Japanese IHOP. So it's like 3 a.m. and you're eating like rice seaweed balls and stuff like that. But it was just the greatest experience. And I'm so happy that that show's still around. I, I I get a little bummed that it doesn't have the the Japanese roots as much anymore. Like they don't go back over there. They don't do it on their course. But right. the fact that Matt Eisman is still doing it, Matt's, Matt's, Matt's the best. I always say that Matt Eisman is like a professional host. Like that man could host a grass growing competition and you'd be all in. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So yeah. how much fun was it to create those video blogs in those late 2000s? Oh, my gosh. I didn't even remember those. The only reason I remember those exist is because some of them are still in my iMovie catalog. You know, that was really interesting because that was my first sort of social media was just starting to become a thing. I actually, I think I was doing the video blogs before I even got on Twitter. So it was sort of the first, my first foray into having not direct contact, but you know, personal 
personalized contact with right. the fans, which was very, which was very cool because, you know, when you're on, even when you're on live TV, you're still beholden to what the network wants to get across in that episode. So being able to have sort of more of a heart to heart and get people, let people get to know me personally a bit more, I thought was, was really cool. I don't know if I would do it today though. I think there was a, um, you know, there was a sweet spot of social media and like celebrity outreach and that sort of thing where it was still like innocent and, and pure. And now it feels like just anyone's going to try to find something that you do wrong or anyone's going to come on to hate just to hate because there's this weird anonymity to it all. And we've all gotten kind of used to that. So I, I feel kind of lucky that I was there at the beginning and then got it out of my system and don't feel the need to do it now. So that leads me into my next question, actually, yeah. which is how important is social media today for a working actor? I mean, for a working actor, very important. For a movie star, not important at all. I mean, like, I hope everyone went and saw Top Gun because it's one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. But it, it reminds you that Tom Cruise is like, a legitimate movie star and he's not on social media. It's not like we're watching Tom post Instagram pics of his cats or something like that. Like he, he, he has kept the, the, the mystique and the mystery there and we love it. But in terms of just, you know, surviving in this industry and working, I think social media is important because people need to see that you have a following. Now I, Mm -hmm. I thankfully think the industry is turning away from, casting people just because they have a following like that's like when all of a sudden youtube stars were getting cast in like actual films and stuff and then you know one you find out that their fan base doesn't translate over and two oh they have zero training so they're not great in it you know (laughs) yeah but but I, there there is the balance of oh you're a trained actor you've been doing this and look people are continuing to follow your career and that's why I'm so thankful I mean I, my time at G4 is like the greatest thing that could have happened to me for so many reasons but one of the biggest is that the fan base is so loyal and those are people who have stuck with me for over a decade now and I'm I'm always so thankful for them. Do you get stopped out in public and have you say hey I loved you on G4 I loved you on Attack of the Show? I, not as much so often, mainly because I was so blonde on the show and I am so uh. not anymore, but <laughs> I, I, it still does happen. And every time it happens, I'm always like, thank you so much. It happened to me. It happened to me at, in TSA, uh, in the TSA line at LAX just a couple weeks ago. Oh, wow. One of the, one of the TA, TSA agents just like very casually, just like walked up to me. He's like, Hey, uh, Miss Hayslip, I just want to let you know, I was a huge fan of yours on attack the show. And I was like, well, you know, I'm like masked up in glasses. It's like 8 a.m. I'm like, what? <laughs> and I was like, thank you so much. And we just chatted for a little bit. And he's like, you're the only one I've gotten to meet. And I was like, well, I hope you get to meet the others. Like, we're all really wonderful and cool. But, you know, that that just that just makes my day, especially that mm-hmm. someone will recognize me because, you know, I like to consider myself a chameleon. I've changed my hair color so many times. I I'm someone who's like, if you 
feel like you want to have a different look, go have a different look, like have fun. Like we, we only live this one life, like be who you want to be, you know? Right. Um, so the fact that people still, still actually recognize me on the street is, is nice. That's awesome. So yeah. fun fact, you are now the second person I've spoken to who has won the price is right. <gasps> oh my and gosh. You, the other. And, uh, someone I went to high school with oh, he wow. won both, and he won both showcases and now he's a heart surgeon. So, oh my, know. okay. So yeah. uh, he yeah. he won one. Right. I mean, I won, but he won one. Oh, he won yeah. one. Yeah. So on your Twitter page, you cover in detail the behind the scenes, the financial side of it on your yeah. Twitter page. So aside from the taxes, what do you remember <laughs> from being on the actual show? I mean, your your heart is pumping the entire time, and you don't know who's getting called up. You truly don't. There's I think I wrote about this in that in that in that Twitter thread, but um, you you have a better chance of someone in your group getting called up if you go with a lot of people who are all wearing the same shirt, the same color shirt. And we found out it's because it's easier for the cameras to whip pan to that part of the audience when they call someone's name. And so there were there was a guy in our group that I went with who had just gotten engaged, and we were all convinced that he was the one who was going to get called up. So when they said my name, I was like what? And I just like bounced out of my chair. And I just remember every step of the way being like, Oh, okay. I'm a contestant on the price is right. My life is made. And then the next <laughs> thing was like, Oh, I just bid $1 on the price is right. My life is made. And then it was like, Oh, I just won on the bid and I'm up on the stage. My life is made. Oh, I get to spin the big wheel. My life is made. Like every, I would have been so happy just being you know, down with one of the four people, but the fact yeah. that I kept going on and on and on and then one, I was, and if you watch my episode, I am, I'm not good. I'm not good. <laughs> it's literally just everyone else. I happen to be up against is worse. Yeah. Like I shouldn't have one. Like I, I spun 65 cents on the wheel who wins with 65 cents. It's just that the other people both spun over, yeah. <laughs> you know? So just insane. And then I get out. The first thing I do is call my parents. My dad answers. And I'm like, I just want to show me show the price is right. And the first thing my dad says is, you know, you're gonna have to pay taxes on all that. Because <laughs> my dad, I mean, he's retired yeah. now, but God bless him. He's a CFO his whole life. So that's all that's yeah. all he thinks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, when I was what 2003, when I was in the Navy, uh, we were in between deployments and we would all of us got in a van, an MWR van, went up to Los Angeles and did the prices right. And we were all in our Navy uniforms and we're thinking for sure, you know, oh, they're going to pick us. They always love picking the, the military yeah. guys and not a one of us. <gasps> what? Not a one of us. Oh. But after the show, we did get to meet Bob Barker. So I will say and, that was, oh. yeah. And that's what I say. I mean, I always date myself, but the fact that I was on when Bob Barker was still there is also a huge point. I mean, I weirdly enough, Drew Carey and I have the same agent now. So I have met him a bunch of times and like, we've right. talked about my price is right experience, but being able to meet Bob Barker is like, you know, primo yes. Hollywood royalty. So yeah. Who is someone that you would consider be on your bucket list to work with? Oh God, that's a good question, man. I mean, of course, Meryl Streep pops into my mind right off the bat, but that's, that's too easy. That's too easy. Oh, I know Tom Pelfrey, his storyline in season three of Ozark is one of the most unbelievable arcs and performances I have seen in such a long time. And I have a, I have a friend who actually just worked with him on a project that's coming out soon. And she just said that he was like a dream to work with. So 
yeah, he's, he's someone, I just, he, I feel like he's someone that I would just become a better actor being around. Speaking of projects that you have worked on, how much fun is it to work on Con Man? Oh, the best. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, you know, when you're like, you get a phone call from Alan Tudyk that says, hey, you want to come play with us for like five days and you know basically everyone on set and it's a ridiculously goofy, funny script. You know, it was, <laughs> I had, and that was another job that just came from out of left field. Like, I think, I think Alan called me like two or three days before they were supposed to start shooting. And I was just like, yeah, all right, sign me up. I had no idea what I was getting into, but I had, I had the best time. And then we actually did a season two. I mean, come on. That was a dream. <laughs> That's awesome. So I want to ask one serious question, uh, if it's all right. Yeah. Uh, as an actress in Hollywood, how far do you think the Me Too movement has come so far? Ooh. That's that is a good question. I mean, well, first of all, I'll I'll say this about it. A Amy uh, Schumer did something like this in one of her stand up routines recent, like shortly after the Me Too movement started. And she was like, I really have to credit this younger generation of women. I, and I'm paraphrasing her. This is not exactly how she says it. But it, yeah. I have to I have to I have to credit this younger generation of women because we've all grown up being like, yep, this is what you deal with. And this younger gener generation of women went, no, you don't have to. And we all kind of went, oh, we don't. And I was, I was definitely the person like when it started, I was like, oh, I mean, I, I, thankfully I have never had an experience like a, a lot of these women who came out during this right. movement have had, but you always deal with something different in this industry because you are a woman. And I think we all got complacent and comfortable with it because we were told we should. So I'm, I'm so thankful that this has been brought to the light and it does get talked about. I do think like anything that's going to make a massive change in our social outlook on things, not everything gets handled perfectly right off the bat. Pendulums have to swing a little too far to get to a good place. But I also believe that that's what should happen to get to a good place, you know, but I don't, I get, I get concerned when things are looked at as right or wrong. I feel like, it, you know, I feel like that's a big issue in this, with this country in general right now is that you're, you either, you're either on my side or you're the enemy and there's not a lot of discussion happening anymore. So I really hope that we do get to a point where, where discussion is, is brought into it as opposed to having like knee jerk emotional reactions to things. Mm -hmm. That's perfectly yeah. said. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Perfectly said. So real quick, um, what's one thing about yourself that my listeners and your fans would be surprised to know about you? Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't, I mean, this wouldn't be a surprise because it's on my Instagram, but I hate eggs. I think they're disgusting. I also <laughs> don't drink coffee. I've never drank coffee before in my life. I'm a child. I'm just like, it tastes gross. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can now, but it, I had to work on it. I used to never be able to tie my shoes properly. Really? I was always, I was always a double bunny ear, not them. And just within the, I'm not exaggerating just within the last like four or five years. I'm like, I said, maybe figure out how to tie your shoes like an adult. <laughs> <laughs> I found a reasonable roundabout way of getting up around that. And that's basically just buy vans. Yes. Them right on. <laughs> so I have to ask you about Heart Baby Eggplant. It's a oh. lot of fun. 
where did the inspiration for that come from? I mean, where all good inspiration comes from real life. Mm-hmm. I'm So I created that with my two very dear friends, Rati Gupta and Laura Ortiz. And we got together. We've, we've, the three of us have known each other for years and years and years. And we got together for lunch one day and Laura had just announced to us that she was recently pregnant. I was in this new, very healthy relationship. Rati was on the apps and like doing all this fun dating stuff. And we were just telling each other stories. And we were like, it was Laura who went, wow, our lives are so different. And we all just went, that's, there's a show here. That's, and 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 Rati's an incredible writer. So she's like, let me see what I can do. And we, the three of us brainstormed concepts and scenarios and all that kind of stuff. And then we were like, oh, and, and we were like, if we are going to actually shoot this, we need to do it before Laura gives birth to her first child. So we had mm-hmm. a very specific deadline. So we, you know, I think it was about a week or so that we were talking about it and coming up with these ideas and Raji started writing. And then we were like, all right, if we're going to do this, we have to pull the trigger now. We have to make this happen. And so we were like, let's do it. And we launched this crowdfunding campaign and, you know, raised a boatload of money thanks to all of our fans and got this thing shot in five days, not even five consecutive days because we couldn't get the crew for five days. We, we wrapped, I think, nine days before Laura gave birth. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And somehow, you know, came out with this incredible seven episode cute web series that we're all really proud of. And I'm so happy we did. That's awesome. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier, you mentioned Ozark. I have to ask, and I ask everybody the same question yeah. is what is, what kind of, it's a fun question. What kind of shows or music are you into right now? Well, severance, my God, severance is probably my favorite show I've watched in a long time. I just finished the the first half of the most recent season of uh, Stranger Things, which I was like, oh, they did not come to fuck around this season. It is it is some heavy, heavy shit <laughs> on Stranger Things this season. I'm here for it. Music, you know, it's funny. I When I first moved to L.A., I had a lot of friends who were musicians. I dated a lot of musicians. I was like very much in the music scene in LA and then just kind of got burned out by it. And so I wasn't, I always listened to music, but I wasn't like as excited discovering new music. And then just a couple of years ago, I discovered this band called Mariana's Trench and they're a basically like a Canadian pop rock band. And I'm obsessed with them. <laughs> I mean, I listen to all of their songs and I have to thank like these new, um, algorithms that all the uh you know all your you know i like i use youtube music your people right. use spotify or whatever because it just suggested one of their songs to me based on other things i was listening to and i was like i like this and i was like who's this band and i went over to their channel and now i'm like a super fan i've seen them in concert twice god bless my friends who works at radio stations they've introduced me to them i'm just like it's <laughs> awesome i was like can you become a groupie of a band in your 30s is that okay <laughs> <laughs> That's great. All right. So what's next for Allison? What do you got lined up? Well, I just finished up on the season finale of 911 Lone Star, which was such a blast because I've never worked on a project that involved so much stunts and action. I mean, every day that I was on set, I was covered in dirt and mud and like 
carrying people across rubble and we were shooting for like 15, 16 hours. And I was so happy. I was like, I don't, we could go for three straight days. Like this is the most fun I've had on set in a long time. And then after that, and you know, this is one of the things that I focused on during the pandemic, but uh, I have a writing partner and she and I have a, uh, we have a script that's currently being pitched around town and we're working on some other things. So I'm, I'm hoping soon that I get to, you know, add the, the writer producer credit to under my wing. So as we begin to wind down the interview, what's the best way for my listeners to follow your adventures online? My social media accounts, I'm still on Twitter and Instagram. It's at Allison Hayslip. That would be the, that's the best way. I mean, mm. you know, I feel like I keep my socials more updated than my family sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So as much as it bums me out to do this, as I end my interviews, I end them with the same question, my favorite yeah. question. And the question is this, if the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the one thing you want to say to the people of earth? Read more books. Always read more books, whatever they are, just read books. And, you know, I'm old school and I get the actual book. I don't read it on like a Kindle or something like that. I like feeling that book in my hands, read books. Nice. Allison, thanks ever so much for taking the time out of your, I know, incredibly busy schedule. This has been a real treat. Yeah. Thank you so much, Derek. This was lovely. You're welcome. And just like that, Duval Nation, we come to the end of episode 114. I want to thank Allison for taking the time to come on the show. It's so refreshing to have a guest who is such a breath of fresh air, and you can tell loves not only what she does, but life as well. I would not be opposed to having her on the show again sometime down the line. Okay, tune in again next time as we showcase another extraordinary person. I have a really good one coming up in a few days, so be sure to keep checking your favorite podcast streaming channel for that episode to drop. We are still enjoying our partnership with the amazing Tee Public. The Derek Duvall Show has a great little store on there, and we have everything with our logo on it, including magnets, stickers, and mugs. Plus, you know how some couples go nuts in Target registering for wedding gifts? Well, we did the same by selecting which shirts we wanted on our show. And folks, we have everything from Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Pride shirts, Norm MacDonald, and so much more. Go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com, and go to the banner on the left that says Merch. Click that and you'll be taken to our store on TeePublic. And we want to thank TeePublic again for being such great partners with us. Have you enjoyed this episode? I truly hope you have. So please go and hit that subscribe button to keep up to date when new episodes drop. Also, if you feel generous, drop us a review. We love reading what our listeners have to say about us. Okay, on behalf of myself and the entire team here at The Derek Duvall Show, Happy New Year. And it is my profound wish that 2023 bring each of you all you desire and that it is a prosperous year for all of us. No star, God bless, and see you next time, Planet Earth. This has been a recording of The Derek Duval Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvalShow.com, for links to merchandise and to explore past episodes. Please find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Derek Duval Show.